All right. Today we've got Todd Geist, Peter Vinogradov, and Corn Walker, all from Proof Geist. And with 19.6 having been, been released recently, uh, Transactions has been a big talk. Now, if you were to ask Todd or Corn specifically, Transactions has been a big talk for a long time, way longer than 19.6, uh, which is why they're here. Um, and Peter's got some strong opinions about Transactions too, which is which is pretty great. So we thought we'd bring it together and talk about 19.6 and but and really just focus on transactions quite a bit and what, what that means, why we should care, and how 19.6 is a game changer. Um, Corn, you've been doing a lot of talking about transactions. You want to kick us off? Sure. Um, you know, I've been thinking about transactions for a long time. Um, it started a while back when I was doing my first um, sort of accounting system, which everybody foolishly does in FileMaker. You know, we go out there and we think, oh, I'm going to reinvent accounting. Um, so, you know, looking at accounting, one of the first things that happened is that I ran into some errors um, because my scripting was not up to par, um, you know, 20 years ago. And I started looking into transactions. I looked into the history of transactions. And it's kind of funny because I like this idea of language. And, and you think of transactions, and there's two thoughts. There's the database concept, and then there's the accounting concept. And it turns out that they're actually somewhat related. So in the accounting concept, it starts you know, back in the 13th century, I believe, um, I'm trying to think of the name. I think it was Amatino Minucci. He was a merchant um, in France. And we don't know if he invented double entry accounting, but he was the first set of records that we found um, that has double entry accounting. And the, and the basics behind double entry accounting is that whenever you enter something into your books, you enter it twice. So you enter it for a transaction, where it came from and where it went. So you don't just have money showing up. The money had to come from somewhere and the money had to go to somewhere. So, if the money came from the customer, then you must have given the customer some goods. And so you record that you received you know, $100 of cash from the customer, and you record that you gave the customer $100 worth of goods. And you put both of those entries in at the same time, and that helps reduce error and reduce fraud. And that was the whole point of double entry accounting. And so then when computers came along, computers sort of borrowed that same idea and said, oh, there are things that we want to do where we want to make all of these entries simultaneously. And we want to put those entries in so that they all succeed or they all fail. We don't want to get into a state where some of the things succeeded and some of the things failed. And so they used the language of transactions for this. And so the idea of a transaction is that we have these database operations. And when we perform those operations, we want them to be saved as a group. Um, the alternative is that you get a partial state. You know, if you can imagine that you've created an invoice and you started doing your line items and you sold a couple of goods, and then you go to decrease your inventory on hand of that item. But that fails because that item is locked for some reason or you don't have access. And you say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and finish my invoice up. Well, if you don't decrease your quantity on hand, then the next person can sell those same items to another customer, but you don't actually have those items to sell. So that's where, for me, you know, when I look back at my early development, I don't understand how I did anything without transactions because there's so many things in the system where it's like, yes, I have to do this and I have to do that, and both of them have to happen. I can't just have one happen. Very cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great little background on it. So then. How does that, so fast forward to FileMaker today then, what's different? What, you know, so that was your coding 20 years ago. Tell me about- That was my coding 20 years ago, maybe, maybe longer, maybe longer. I, I know I look a little bit younger than I am. That Might've been 25 more. years ago. <laughs> um, so that was back in FileMaker 4 when I was doing this. And I was doing this for um, a hotel chain. And, you know, they started looking at some reports and they're like, oh, you know, there's some inconsistencies here. And I happened to be working with another guy at the time. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, you have to kind of do this and this. But we didn't really have this idea of transactions that we do today. That, was, that didn't really come around until FileMaker 7. And that's when I really felt that transactions took off. Because transactions were sort of this implicit thing that were happening. You know, and we had new commands. We had things like open record. And we had commit record. You know, and those new commands... FileMaker at the time, um, now Claris, they didn't say 
this was about transactions, but this was about transactions. This was them saying, in the database engine, you now have transactions. You can open this record, you can do a bunch of stuff, and then you can commit this record. Or you can revert this record if that stuff doesn't work. And so that's really when transactions sort of took off. And that's where I started looking at this and saying, oh, this is something that we can use. Um, at the time, we were doing a lot of work in education. I had some pretty complex data models in our school software um, that involved a lot of tables. So if I wanted to register a student for a class, I actually had to create a bunch of records and a bunch of tables. So I had to create one record and register our table. I had to create a bunch of records for attendance, a bunch of records for grades and comments and things like that. And all of those records I wanted to be created and saved at the same time. And that's when I started looking at this. So how does this transaction thing help? And where I landed was looking at, oh, if I have a special layout and a special table with a bunch of relationships to all of the records that I want to modify or create, then I can do this. And so that's how we had to set it up. You set up you know, a, a table that had some fields. You know, Some people use regular fields. Some people use global fields. You want to use a new record so that you didn't lock yourself with another user. And then you just set or cleared these fields that either created or broke relationships. And then you set those relationships so that you can auto-create records. And then that way, you could create a record in one table. You could create a record in a number of tables. And then when you were done, you can issue that commit transaction step, or excuse me, commit record step. And the act of saving that record, that local record, also saved all of those other records. It worked. It worked fine, actually. Um, it was a little bit tricky, though, because it's not necessarily intuitive to understand how to do transactions in the old way. Because first of all, it wasn't called transactions. It was called open record, you know, revert record, commit record. So you would think that only has to do with a single record. And in fact, you could have a whole bunch of records that you had modified or created or deleted. And they were in this quasi state of they sort of existed or didn't exist. And then that commit record is what actually saved them to the database. So that was the process. You had to have a table. What we typically did is on the relationships graph, we would have a special section just for transactions. We'd have a whole bunch of relationships. We have a whole bunch of fields. You know, I started out actually just using one field and quickly discovered that the performance on that is terrible um, for a number of reasons that I don't need to get into. And then I start looking at it. And, oh, actually, I need a, a field per table that I want to interact with. And so I went to a field per table and all of these relationships on the graph, all of them with auto create turned on. And the reason for that is if I blank out the key field and then set a related value in that table, that will automatically create a record. I can blank out that key field again, set a value in that related table that creates a second record. You know, that first record, it's, it's sort of gone. We can't get to it anymore, but it's still out there somewhere in an uncommitted state. And that's how you could create multiple records with this. That's how you could modify multiple records. You could actually set a value in that key field. And then that would instantiate a relationship to an existing record, not to one that you've just created, but to an existing record. And then you could modify that existing record. You could even delete that existing record. But to delete that existing record, you had to do more. You had to have a special layout and that layout had to have a bunch of portals for all of those tables. So now we've got a special table occurrence group on our graph. We've got all these relationships with auto create turned on. And now we have a layout that has all of these portals with delete portal row enabled for those portals. And then so we can make sure that we're in the right portal when we're trying to delete a record, then you want to actually put an object name for each of those objects on the layout so that you can specify going to the object by name, deleting the portal row, and you can do that all in the context of a transaction. Except at no point does anywhere say transaction anything. You know, all of this was sort of, you know, you, you, you poke the box and you figure out how this thing works. And we figured out how this thing works. A number of developers figured out how it works. Todd went the extra step and said, not only am I going to figure out how this works, I'm going to document this and I'm going to evangelize this for everyone because <laughs> everyone should be doing this. And then he That's made awesome. actual products that you could add to your system easily so that you can do transactions as well. So that's sort of where the where we were up until 19.6. Pretty much. I mean, I was working actually in an, in an accounting system, also a product 
built-in FileMaker um, that is actually still available today. It's now from Codens, used to be called New Millennium back then. But it was a full general ledger accounting system, and we were working in FileMaker 4. So very similar story and learning about the limitations that we had in 4 and getting very excited when 7 came out. And and I, what tipped me off was revert record. That was what tipped me off. Um, and that was sort of, you know, when it caused me to start looking at what it was actually doing. And sure enough, it was it was doing exactly what Corn said. And then a couple of years later, we got um, when FileMaker nine shipped, we got ESS, which was you know we could connect to actual SQL databases like MySQL. And I was very curious to see whether the FileMaker database engine would translate transactions, actually you know the open record and the commit and the and the revert to SQL commands that were transaction safe. And sure enough, it did. So under the hood, since FileMaker 7, FileMaker has known very well what a database transaction is and it knew how to do them. It just never appeared in any documentation anywhere that it was doing it. Uh, but it's been able to do it since 7 uh, and do it in much the same way that you know your, the, the, the other databases that are available out there, MySQL, Postgres, SQL Server, all those. We just, it was just a hidden feature that you had to know how to use. Yeah. And in fact, as we, as, uh, maybe as Corn's pulling this up, what's changed really uh, with 19.6 is, is the sort of the developer interface into that engine, but the transaction engine itself, the thing that's actually doing this, the thing that changed from FileMaker 6 to 7 is unchanged in 19.6. So it is exactly the same database operations that it's been doing since since uh what whatever that was 2007 or something like that oh, or before whatever yeah so the good news is is that means that you can trust this i mean this is this is not new like weird something that hasn't been used this has been used by every filemaker solution that has been shipped in one way or another since filemaker 7 yeah so yeah. important okay. to see peter what's your take on some of this transaction stuff uh yeah, I mean, unlike Corn and Todd, I didn't um, I didn't come into FileMaker from a, a financial uh, environment. I was mostly in EDU, um, and I did have to do one uh, kind of ERP type system. Um, but so it never quite, I, you know, when when the chatter around transactions was happening in the FileMaker community, it never quite grabbed me. I was always just like, it seems like a lot of setup. For uh, for a circumstance that that if it comes up ever is is going to be easily identifiable and easily fixable. So you know it's not just the like Corn was describing like the 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 you know you have your your special table and your your whole extra um, table occurrence groups and and all these extra script steps. Um, it's not just setting that up; it's maintaining it. It's handing it off to other developers. It's all of that overhead that comes with it. So um, so the juice really has to be worth that squeeze. And it just, I was never able to make a, a business case for it. Um, you know, if something went, went wrong, you know, it was just easy to, it would just kind of come up. People would say, oh, hey, this record doesn't look right. The student's report doesn't, you know, is missing some, some items and, and it would, ha you know, it, or, or, you know, we, we need to check if everybody has, if all students have the right number of checklists. And you know you might have to go and 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 write a script that that runs through a whole report set and double checks, but that takes so little time compared to that that constant overhead of, of maintaining transactions. But again, it's not a financial system, so the the stakes are so much lower. So for me, like it's always my all my filemaker development, but my guiding thing is make it as simple as possible and make it something that if I don't touch it for ten years, I can still pick it up and figure out what I was doing. Um, so I just try to kind of keep as close to the FileMaker bone as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I'm allowed to pick sides as the host, but I, <laughs> I'm, I fall in your camp, <laughs> Peter. Oh, I feel betrayed. I, I, I know. I, this is, Corn and I can't agree on a couple of things, and this is going to be one of them. <laughs> I, I will say, though, it is, it is cool. That's... 
the cool factor <laughs> of 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 being able to um, you know to to make potentially a, you know thousands of changes and then revert them with a single script step is very cool. And there, I'm sure there were parts along my development journey where I was using portals in that way to you know what I would call microtransactions, although that has a different definition mm. now. But um, you know, just just to to do that, and I think we all probably do that as developers. Probably in the little instances where we do it without really being aware of it. But um, but yeah, I mean that 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 scaffolding to handle all of that stuff is really really cool. It's just really <laughs> I just haven't been able to make a case for it in my work. <laughs> yeah, I I think Peter, um, one of the things that I like to talk about is that because the FileMaker engine is transactional. People have been doing transactions, whether they meant to or not. Um, just just the, the job of scripting in FileMaker, at some point, you're going to open a transaction, and at some point, you're going to commit that transaction. And the question is, are you doing it knowingly yeah. <laughs> um, or, or not? <laughs> and you know, so, so you'll see people, they'll write a script. They will you know, create a new record. They'll set a bunch of fields. They might set some related fields in another table. And then they'll go to another record or they'll go to another layout. Well, guess what's going to happen? It's going to try to commit that transaction. Yep. Because <laughs> you've opened one and now it's got to close it because you've moved off onto a different context. And so people didn't realize that that's what's actually happening behind the scenes. And and I think what Todd and I have done is like, oh, cool. Let's leverage that. Let's, <laughs> you know, understanding that, you know, the transactions are there. Now let's let's push them as far as possible um within within reason you know what's interesting like what's interesting about about transaction scripting and you know peter you said i can look at this 10 years later and know what i was doing the interesting thing about about transactions is they didn't change this entire time like the way that the way that we could do them didn't change so and i actually got really used to scripting that way and it became kind of a preferred way to do it like and Regardless of transcriptions, I just regardless of transcriptions, that's a new word. Um, <laughs> transactions. That that's very how Peter and I feel there. about it. No, I'm just kidding. I like um, <laughs> transcriptions. That maybe that maybe how I refer to it. <laughs> I liked not having to leave layouts, and you could just, yes. you know, you could just go, um, you know, uh, you could just target any record anywhere in the database simply by setting fields. Really, that's all it was. You set a field in the in the main deep, what we call the DB transactions table. And then you set a field in the related table and that was it. You just did everything right there. There was no going to lay out. No, there were no fines. You didn't really have to do fines. It was, it was a, it was a reduced set of FileMaker that you got to work with. And sometimes reducing things can be really nice. It, it's the constraints that actually allow you to, to, you know, not consider the five ways to do things. Cause there was only one. You know, there was only one way to do it. You're gonna, if you wanted if you wanted to delete a record, this is how you deleted a record. There wasn't another way. Um, so oh, it, it was it was nice in that in that regard. Um, but I completely agree that it was there was too much stuff that had to be added to a solution to just you know like simple solutions. It just wasn't worth doing. Um, and so it was you know I worked in a lot of complex solutions and it was fairly obvious and, and, and an easy thing to, to do. But in simple cases, it just was too much. So I, I would agree with you that it was annoying when you were doing, a, you know, things that, that didn't, that didn't really need it, but might just be nice to have it. Um, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, I used to, when, in, in some of my earlier solutions, when I was trying to be kind of defensive about, about, you know, unskilled users and try to basically defile makerize everything for them. Um, I used to do everything from a, a, a session table, right? So I'd have this table yeah. with, you know, a zillion fields that, that would map out to the entire database. And then there'd be portals that were dedicated for creation, portals dedicated for deletion, portal, you know, so it was kind of doing, it had that scaffolding in place. Um, yeah. And I remember this moment, I think it was around, I want to say like FileMaker 14 in that neighborhood where uh, I was rewriting my SIS and I was just like, I'm taking all of that and just throwing it out. And it was like, it was like just a, a sigh of relief. I was like, okay, I'm going to go. Yeah. I want my layout mode to look like browse mode. 
I want my, my, you know, I want to be in context. I want, I want as much as possible to be able to use native FileMaker finds all of the native tools that we get. I want to be able to use them. Yeah. And, and I've just never yeah. looked back. I'm like, it was such a, yeah. an aha moment for me to just toss so much scaffolding. Yeah. It's actually really important. Like I think that, and we spent, especially when, you know, um, because FileMaker didn't change for a long time, we did stupid things on layouts to make, to make up for the fact that we didn't have tabs. Remember we didn't have tab controls. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we had tabbed layouts that were each layout was an, each tab was a different a layout. Of another and then if layout. you had nested tabs, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, it was, <laughs> it was just crazy. And luckily we got tabbed late. We got tabs and we got a few things, but um, it took a long time to put down uh, the idea that we should be, really working that hard. Like I think the, one of the last ones for me was master detail. We now just have it. So we no longer have to work really hard to get a master detail layout, right? It's just, we just have a master detail layout. Thank goodness, because that's the one pattern that's really popular. And we had, we had to jump through a lot of hoops to get, and now we don't. So I'm, I am at this stage with where FileMaker is and sort of where I'm in my career, I am definitely becoming a minimalist in terms of in terms of what to add, um, you know, what, what to add to a solution. Um, so yeah, I hear that for sure. So, so we talked about 19. Oh, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I think, you know, both Peter and I have this education background and one of the approaches that I took was I wanted to have these rich party models because, you know, the situation we found ourselves in selling commercial software into education was that you had all of these different offices and they were kind of like their own little fiefdoms and nobody was talking to each other. If there was any sort of data synchronization, it was via email or <laughs> a piece of paper with all of the changes that were made that was then photocopied and delivered to each office. And I thought personally, when we would put in our software, our software was sort of like that. We had software for the admissions office, software for the registrar's office, software for the dean's office. And they didn't talk to each other that way. And so you had your students and you had your admissions prospects and you had your students over in deans and they were sort of three different tables. And I thought, this is nuts. This is nuts that the way that we move people from one system to another is through export import. That's just crazy. (laughs) So I came at it and I said, let's throw a data model on this. Let's throw, you know, the party model from Lynn Silverstein, if anybody's ever read those books, you know, he's got very extensive models in there. And we tried to do the party model in in FileMaker. And what that meant was we needed a way of taking that rich model and making sure that when we create a student and create a party record behind that and create all of those, we don't want like just random parties out there or just, you know, a random student record with no party attached or a random party record with no student attached. We needed to make sure that all of those records got done at the same time. And the way to do that was with a transaction. Yeah. And so, you know, having a different focus, you know, being less about, can other developers understand this? I, I, I sort of, you know, I'm like, I felt okay because it was going to be me primarily maintaining that software. So I was okay with imposing that penalty on myself to look back you know, to what I did three years ago and try to understand it. But the trade-off for me was that from the user's experience, they never had a situation where the data was inconsistent. Mm. And it that was the big thing for me um, was data consistency because we wanted to present a message where every office is looking at the same data. Um, they're never questioning, oh, didn't this phone number change or didn't mom move or anything like that? It was always right in every office. And so from having that um, as my goal, that's where transactions was really appealing to me. Yeah, and, that makes a lot of and sense. for me, it was worth the cost of exactly what you point out. Like all of the scaffolding that I had to create and maintain yeah. was worth the cost to get to that goal. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about FileMaker, right? Is that what it's, it's customers both ways, right? It's what does the developer yep. need and then what does the user need? And I think Corin and Todd, you were very focused on what does the user need, and, I, and we'll, as a developer, we'll deal with what we need to deal with. We'll create a, we'll create the scaffolding. We'll make a standard of our own that we can repeat, and that's that. And I think what 19.6 is introducing is it's a focus on the 
developer as the as the customer, right? Which is simplifying something that is important. I mean, I don't, I don't think that Peter and I dislike transactions. <laughs> it's the <laughs> transactions in FileMaker is messy, right? Or used to be messy, and I think that's what I think that's where our our, uh, our reaction comes from. Um, so so nineteen six changes that, right? It makes it, yeah, it makes it brings new things for developers. It does, but let me just summarize something. I, I think that summarize some of this maybe in, in a way that, well, feels important to me at the moment. There are certain data models that you really can't do without transactions. One would be accounting, right? <laughs> where you're doing general ledgers and all that stuff. And another would be the party model. You really can't do it without without transactions. There's no there's no way to be certain. There's too many chances for things to to get disconnected. So anytime you're creating you know, these sort of complex models where data might be spread out across many different tables, um, you really have to do it. So, you know, whether it's worth the, whether it's worth doing that data model is a valid question. But if you're going to choose to do these data models that, that um, have data spread out, or sometimes another way in FileMaker where we have to, where this comes up is when we, when we have to denormalize because of performance reasons, you have data that is in two places. And if you want that data to be accurate, you have to do, use transactions to get it up to date. So you know that. So if, if you didn't want if you didn't want to do transactions because of all the heavy lifting you had to do, then that would limit the sorts of um, architecture decisions you could make. And so the good news is now it's really so simple to do to, to do transactions, and it is now a documented thing that exists within you know within the in the actual docs, it's standard FileMaker now. So now we can do, uh, we can choose to use these data models um, that might have been very, you know, that uh, that definitely would have required transactions. Now we can use them safely because it's easy to do. Yeah, and I think there are probably places where it maybe it wasn't required back then, or it'd be like, well, it's probably unlikely to happen, so it'll be fine. Well, you but would probably so just choose. Now. You would probably just choose a simpler data model because. It was fine, right? I mean, like yeah. everything's a trade-off. Like you don't totally. need it. Not every solution needs a party model. Not every solution needs double-entry accounting. You you would make you would make these trade-offs based on the project. Now, you know, Corn and I both were building commercial products, right? right? Where we have a we have a dev team that's supporting, um, you know, uh, multiple customers using the same system. Mm-hmm. There's a hot. You really do have sort of a high bar to make sure that things aren't. That 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 things are are working, um, and and it makes a lot more sense to 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 do transactions in that case. But if you have a simple solution or a one-off, I mean, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Especially when it's like, you know, you, you got the requirements and it's maybe five tables and six layouts. Like, do I need transactions? Maybe it'd be nice, but not if I got to bring in all this other garbage. There's no there's no reason for it. But now. It's really pretty simple. So if your data model or if your scripting requires it, there's really no reason not to add it because it's just that simple now. Totally. So so Corin gave us a walkthrough, a nice description of what it used to look like, the relationships, the you know, create a record, add some create relationships where you could create records, having portals that you could go and, you know, set keys and clear keys and do all kinds of things. What does that look like? How does that translate now to 19.6? So if I had a fresh file um, and I wanted to do transactions, what does is, what is my script look like now? Let's say you weren't doing transactions, you know, and you wanted to create a record. Typically, you would go with a new record script step. You'd use set field a few times and you'd commit that record, right? Now you just put the open transaction and commit transaction steps around that, and you have a transaction. So anything that you would have done before in FileMaker without transactions, you just wrap that in open and commit transaction, and now it's transactional. And that includes a lot of things that we couldn't do before. That includes, you know, replace field contents. That was not available transactionally. You would have to gather all of those records. You'd have to set those keys one by one, and hit that, you know, that was an iterative nightmare. And that was something you'd probably have to schedule after hours because it yep. was just too slow. And now you have replaced records, replaced field contents across your found set of records. You have finds that you can do. You can go to layout. You don't have to have like this one DB transactions layout 
that's special with all the portals and everything. You want to delete a record? Go to layout, delete record. All of that you can do. So so what the new model has done in 19.6 is it's it's both it's done two things. It's simplified your FileMaker scripting. It's no longer just a two-sway of managing transactions. You're doing exactly what Peter wants, which is I just want to use FileMaker. I just want to use, you know, what FileMaker gives me. You can just do that now. You can use all of those script steps. You know, pretty much there's a few that are, you know, are kind of excluded. And we wrote a blog post about it and have those listed in there. So there are some script steps that are going to kick you out of the transaction and either going to try to save it or try to revert it. But aside from a few, there's a lot more script steps that you can do within that transaction. So the other thing with, with 19.6 transactions that I really like is how it just rolls up all of those errors. Um, mm. You know, because that was one of the things, you know, writing commercial software, I was very um, sort of anxious about. I, I think that's the best way of describing it. It's because I'm putting this in a customer's hand and I want to make sure that everything that I want to happen happens exactly how I expect it to happen. And that means testing practically every step for errors. <laughs> and, and, and I'm being literal. If you actually look at some of my scripts, it will be, you know, testing for an error, you know, set that script, check the last error flag, see if there was an error with that script set. And you'd be surprised how many steps could could generate an error, you know? And I, I like to quiz people about, you know, what steps can't generate errors. Hmm. And there's very, very few. <laughs> Even something as innocuous comment. as comment. What's that? Comment. Comment, comment is stuff. pretty much the only one. <laughs> like something like set variable. Well, you can run out of memory with a set variable step. Um, so anything can generate an error like that. And so I had all of this errors, you know, trapping and everything in there. It made the scripts, I, I would say, uh, to be fair, unreadable. Made the scripts yeah. unreadable. And now I don't have to do hardly any of that anymore because yeah. once I have that stuff wrapped in the, in the open transaction and the commit transaction, the transaction engine is going to look and it's going to say, Oh, there was an error. You know, you tried to, to put some text into a date field. You, you can't do that. That date, that date has to be a four digit year. It has to be a valid date field. It's going to kick you out of that transaction. Yeah. And I would have been like, Oh no, I don't want that because I want to know what that error was. And what Claire said was, hey, we'll give that to you. We'll give you get last error location, get last error detail. Um, those flags now will tell me not just that there was an error and what that error was, what error code that was, but also tells me what script step generated that error and what line number that script step is on. And that's hugely important because another part of my scripting was I had to put in all of these comments that were essentially like um, anchor points in there. And then when I would generate my error code, I'd have this custom error code format that included that comment location so that when I got an error, I could go back and say, oh, that error happened at this location. I could go to that script, look for that location and figure out what that error was. Now I can just go, oh, it's on line 14. What's on line 14? Oh, I'm setting a date field to a text value. I don't, I, I can't explain how huge that is for me in terms Thank of reducing the amount of scripting I have to do to just do basic error checking now. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, I'm, I'm like to visualize what that looks like, right? It's like set field, if, you know, error else, right? Error end if, and then set field, and then you just keep repeating, yep. right? And you keep trying to yep. exit where you yeah. need to. And what you're saying is I can now set 10, I can have 10 set fields. And then mm -hmm. at the very end say, were there any errors? And it'll, it, and you'll know that, right? You'll know where it stopped and yep. what caused that error. And so you can have all the information that you care about in a yep. much tighter, tighter script. Yep. The, the, the only, so, and the, it, I mean, it's actually a little bit worse than we just described because not only did you have to check every step, but you had to care, you had to carry along that error. So, you know, you're writing a script and you're going down into a script stack. You might be four or five scripts deep in your, um, in your script stack and you get an error and you'd have to pass it all the way back up to the top. So you could yeah. handle it up there. And so none of that, you don't need to do that. It's when, it, when, when the script encounters an error, it kicks you all the way back out to the, to the end of the transaction. So all that's gone. The only thing you still have to handle is what I would call, what, what I would call business errors or business validation yeah. errors or business rules, where you might say, oh, the script step worked, but 
it sets the amount of inventory below zero. So we don't, we don't allow that. And we're not using field validations, which you could do. You could use field validations for that. Yeah. That was the other thing is that you couldn't really use field validations in the old method. It was very challenging. But so if you still, if you, if you don't have an error, if you don't, if you have a business rule that can't be expressed in like field validations, you will have to manage that and deal with that. And, and it's not that hard. It's, it's pretty easy to do. You just have to pass that one back up and then revert. But other than that, yeah, it's so much better. Okay. So Peter, how do you feel about this? All this 19.6 talk. I know that earlier uh, in, a, in another conversation, Corn had shown us the kind of the before and the after, which we just tried to visualize the best we could uh, on, this, out loud. on this audio <laughs> podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, what are your yeah. thoughts about it now? No, it's exciting. Um, you know, I'm like, all right, the, the the tools are there, and now I can kind of work work in that metaphor. Um, I mean, you know, I have I have clients that are still on FileMaker 17, so I have to get them, yeah. you know, shepherd them through that uh, that upgrade. But uh, but yeah, no, I can already think of places where it's okay. This is worth it. Um, so and it is, you know, it's it's it, it's not magical. I think there's probably the gotchas are where the the um, you know the devil's going to be hiding in those details um, and the error trapping and you know some of that stuff is a little unclear to me yet. But I can definitely see like okay, this is this is a situation where all right, when I'm going to be doing this kind of thing, I want to um, I want to do a transaction. And like Todd said, there's you know more and more I seem to be running into situations where uh, you know where where things have to be denormalized. You know, where yeah. I can't just be like, have a calc field that says how many, you know, how many line items do I have on this PO? I have to, I have to have a, an actual static field. And, you know, historically I would handle that with, um, you know, with a lot of auto entry kickers and things where, you know, you visit the record, it kicks that. And you know, we, 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 we have maybe a nightly script that puts things in order, you know, to, to solve those kinds of performance issues. Um, and those, those, I think still definitely have their place because, you know, I, the, the last thing I want to do is trust a, you know, the idea of the idea of just, just doing math on a, in a script and having it, having it be right, uh, hundred percent of the time <laughs> is, is terrifying to me. So, I mean, I, you yeah. know, I think that's in general, that's kind of one of the, the habits that you develop when you're. You know, is is that sort of defensive mindset of like, okay, things might be wrong. I don't necessarily have a foolproof way of stopping them from being wrong. So what are my what are the what are the suspenders that I can put on with these with this belt and uh, you know and address it? So, but yeah, I find more and more there are there are places where we're having to decouple and 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 have things the same data in two places, and it's terrifying. So um, being able to do yeah. have have that extra tool when you're actually writing the data to, to write it in both places uh, and make sure it's, it lines up is, is satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. The denormalizing is such a good example of this because I, I, I see more and more of this as, as I work on more projects and, and it feels like the right decision, but it does feel like it needs to be protected tighter. <laughs> yeah. And the reason I ever fought against mm -hmm. it was because I was afraid, right? It's like, well, what if it gets out of sync? I can't handle that. I, right. I, maybe I can, but my clients can't. Right. So, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I think I, I definitely feel this at more of a, more of a pressure these days. Yeah. There's the purity of, of, um, of how, you know, things work in, in theory. And then there's how things actually need to work in the world. And they're often quite different and that is a challenge. And it's something you just have to get, you have to get used to judging where those trade-offs make sense. Um, and denormalization is a big one. There's a bunch in that class of things that just, Yes, if you could make the perfect data model and get unlimited performance and all those things, then yeah, you would just do it that way. And if if summary if summary calc fields worked on you know thousands of records over the internet, then yeah, you would just do it that way. But they Unstored don't. Stored calcs seven layers deep. Yeah, that sounds, yeah. <laughs> they just they just don't. They don't work performatively enough yeah. in the real world. So I mean, you could do that, and your users. I mean, we've we've seen we've seen systems that take 10 minutes to open up. Um, and, you know, it's because sure, they don't, they are just using unstored calcs and summary functions, things like that. So sure, the data is, the data is probably correct, but the system isn't any more usable because of that. 
So that's the trade-offs you make. And I think this, you know, the the ability to just use this so simply now is really the is really the thing that it just makes it it just makes it kind of a default way to do it. I think, you know, Peter's right. There's some there's some things you got to learn about like well, you can't put a you can't put a uh, um, a commit transaction in a subscript. The and, and you can't put a revert transaction in a subs in a subscript. They have to be in the same well, script as the you can, call. You can put them there, but they're not. Yeah, they do just anything. don't do anything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So open, so open, revert, and commit all have to be in the same script. So okay, I have to do something a little bit differently here. I don't want to. I don't want to necessarily write this one massive script. So what do I do? Well, you can still but use you can, subscripts. You can sandwich. You can sandwich scripts, subscripts in between. Absolutely. The opening. That's right. That's right. You that's just right. can't. You just can't close can, in a different script than you start. You just can't close any in there. So, so with that, you know, getting back to this idea of of the kinds of errors you may need to handle, um, you wouldn't have to handle any of your set fields that are record locks or any of that. They're just going to bounce out. But if you had one of these things where it was a validation rule that was not expressed in the schema. You would pass that back up to the main transaction script, and then you can conditionally revert the transaction in the transaction script. So your main scripts can become a series of subscripts that hand back one value, or you know however you choose to do it. But it could be yes, it all worked, or no, it didn't. And if you get back a no, it didn't, you just revert at that space. So that main script can now become just like an organizing script where you. You break up your logic into chunks that make sense. You call subscripts. You get back, uh, you know, it can be as simple as a Boolean yes or no. And all that main script is doing is just calling subscripts and reverting transactions if it needs to. That pattern seems pretty simple and it gives you a, a nice way to organize. And, you know, anything that's beyond 10 or 20 script steps, you might just start breaking it up that way. Seems 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 pretty easy. So um, as the... As the naysayer in this in this podcast, um, what's the um, what's the how are we going to um, as FileMaker developers? How are we going to ruin it? Um, you know, like when <laughs> when SQ when SQL was introduced. Uh, I mean, I'm still dealing with yeah. code that uh, that where developers were like, "Yes, kid in a candy shop," and uh, you know, and as it the, those those ten minute layouts that take to generate. Um, you know what are what are the potential bad habits that we're going to acquire now that we have this tool? Hmm. I don't know. Um, or is I it? Mean, all you have upside? to be careful. <laughs> I think like. I mean, I've already done one, and and quickly abandoned it, which was how how can I abstract this? Oh so yeah. That yeah. So that right. I can run any number of scripts inside of my transaction block and and have this perfect nirvana of just one transaction to control them all. Yeah. And I I, I made the script. It was you know on a prompt from somebody else who was like, hey, how would I do this? How would I have this single controller? And I thought about it. I figured it out. And I said, yeah, this is an anti-pattern here. If I ever release this, it'll be as a don't do it this way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right to the trash can. <laughs> yeah, that that, uh, that was a good example because I get the you know, the impulse to do that. We have a we have a, a strong impulse in the filemaker world to abstract things, and some of it was because again things didn't change for so long. So we wanted we wanted to make things easier. So we would come up with these ways that we could that we could write our code faster, and then you know you know who cares about the next poor guy poor person who has to come in and manage this code and deal with all the abstractions that we came up with. And I certainly wrote a, a large number of abstractions that just ended up being not worth it in the long run. Um, so yeah, I would, I would just caution people to avoid that. I don't think you need a lot of abstractions here. I think the base tools are pretty good and you can stick to them. Um, I'm trying to think of it as like things that will, I mean, there are some things that, I mean, how could you abuse it? Mm. I mean, I you, there are trade-offs when you're working in transactions, like you could inside of a transaction, you could update a million records and then, you know, you could then commit that record, uh, that, that transaction and it would work. 
but it would be really slow. <laughs> and, uh, be, and that's a trade-off. Like there's a certain, it has to do with um, a number of things, a number of indexed fields in the database. Also has to do with the amount of RAM that's available on your computer. You can literally saturate your RAM with open records. I did that in a billion record database as just a proof of concept to see, to see what it would take. And in that simple test, I was coming up with, you want, you know, 50,000 records is where at that, you know, was the sort of trade-off point. Beyond that, it's, things are just going to get really stupid slow. This was a number of years ago. The hardware is better. It's probably a lot more now. But you don't, I guess one thing to say is you don't need to put everything in a transaction. And in fact, um, I'm trying to think. So here's an example. If you, let's say you have an order coming in from an e-commerce platform and it's got a customer information and, and an order and you want to then put that into the system, you could do the customer part and the order part. You could do that all inside a single transaction. Um, and that would be okay, but you could also, you also might break that up in, into two transactions because if the customer gets created, that's fine. That's like a piece. It's fine by itself. It can get created as long as you can attach, you know, that customer to, to any order coming in, then you might choose to break that up into two transactions. Um, and that might make a lot of sense. Another one maybe is a little clearer is if you're pulling in a bunch of invoices, say you're syncing from QuickBooks or something, you wouldn't want to update. You wouldn't want to do all of the incoming invoices in one transaction. That probably just doesn't, that's going to get very slow. You can do each invoice and commit each one and loop to the next one and handle that kind of thing. So there's stuff like that where you want to think about the unit that of work that you're doing. If the stuff is going to be broken, if it if it's something inside that breaks, that's a transaction. But if it's like one invoice comes in and it's fine, another invoice breaks, do I need to revert the one that's fine? No, it's fine. So I would do that in a second trans, you know, do that in individual transactions. So there's some thinking to do around that of sort of like what is the unit of work that I'm doing and 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 where would it be broken if something would fail? So that might be one thing to say. I think that's good. I think people are going to hopefully more people will start doing more transactions because it's easier now. But part of that process of new tool is also figuring out how you actually do these things, right? And that's exactly what you're talking about, which is thinking through the the business logic is a lot of that, right? Can, what can break? Yep. What's breakable? What's not? What's a piece versus what's a component or you know a, a whole piece or whatever? So, I think it's important to start thinking about that kind of uh, when what's a transaction is is probably the right question to start asking. <laughs> yeah, and I and I take Peter's question I think pretty seriously because I think it's certainly what we do. We every time we've gotten new tools, we've just gone overboard with them. <laughs> Execute SQL is a great example. I. Oh man, that that was ugh, such a such a double. I mean, sword. I love it. I love it. There's so many times where I don't want to leave context, and I just want to quickly look something yeah. up, you know. And I have got yeah. I have custom functions that are like you know list by type yeah. SQL six factor, you know. Like, well, yeah, and yeah. it's basically just no. I, I, I in fact in fact it was that that I used to hate custom functions because they weren't very portable and they didn't solve that many problems that I thought you absolutely had to have them. But it was dealing with execute SQL. You just can't do it. You cannot really do execute SQL without no, custom not, functions not in a way that's maintainable at all. Yeah. So that was like that was the thing. When you do a when you when you're trying to do an execute SQL against a, a you know a, a five million record table, um, that's where you start to appreciate how amazingly fast FileMaker searches are. Um, yeah, totally. you know when you're when you're trying to find indexed data. Right, just go, go, do your FileMaker search and come back. Like it's going to be okay. Your stuff will still be there when you get back. You don't have to do it as a calc. Yeah. I think it's probably worth mentioning that um, I'm pretty sure this is true. The same caveat around execute SQL and transactions exists. I'm sure it is of this new model. Is that if you have open records in the table you're searching and you have a lot of them execute SQL, it's, it can be very slow because mm. it does, it finds everything in the index data that it's already got, but now it has to do a record by record search of your open records to see if they match the SQL queries. So inside of a transaction, don't do a massive SQL query. <laughs> so, so that's one of those, those double, 
in the details things were because when I was playing with it, I found it felt like there were different circumstances where the data didn't really exist yet. Um, and I feel like SQL searches was one of them. Um, yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple things that are, and they're the same as they were in the other, in the in the older methods. And you know, the one that's um, actually it's a little better now because you can go back to a record that you created, uh, and you go back to the layout; it'll still be there. Whereas in the portal method, if you create a record through a portal, and then you change the key, which then releases that record, so you can go on and recreate a new one. In the old method, there was no way to get that record back. It, it was still there. It was still in the being. It was still waiting to be committed, but you couldn't get back to it and do more work, right? right? Um, and yeah. so there's there there are those cases, and there, those are still they still are in the new model. But at least in this model, you can actually go back to the layout where where you created the record, and if you haven't if you haven't moved context there, that record's still there. Uh, and it's still in the set, so you could loop through it and find it. I mean, there's there's ways back to it, but yeah, it's not committed, and uh, and it's different than an edited record, which is the weird part. So new records are in a different state than edited records. Hmm. Interesting. So there's a few of those that you have to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just gonna read all of Corn's blog posts. Yeah, yeah. Corn's blog post <laughs> covers all just this ask stuff. Corn. <laughs> <laughs> The one thing I didn't cover, I think, in that blog post was revert transaction, um, which I really like. Um, you know, the the one thing about that revert transaction step is you can supply a custom error code to it, yeah, and an error message, and that will come through. Um, hmm. So when you're using the the FileMaker get functions, it will pick that up. With one um, caveat that your error code has to be, I think it's between. 5,000 and 5,499, something like that. So if you, mm. if you tried to return error code two, it's not actually going to return that. But if you return error code 5,002, it will. No, that's good. So I, only get, I, I only get 500 different errors. To that's 500, right. 500 custom <laughs> errors, that's all you get. That, that's all you wow, get. Wow, this is, this is going to really make my, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the follow-up episode where we talk about... <laughs> The 501st error that you wanted to write that you couldn't. <laughs> That's really great. So that, that would be in a case like we were talking about where you're passing up some custom business logic and you want to give it an error code. When it gets to the revert, you can actually give it that code and look up a message or something that goes along with it, right? You can specify that message right there in the revert yeah. step. So there you so go. Then, so what that, does that become the, the get last error value? Yes. Where, yeah. how, do you, how do you access that once you've said it? Yeah, it's get last get, error. Get last error. And what does that give you? The and code also or the, get last or the text. And yeah, get last error returns the code, and then get last error detail, get last error location. Oh, okay. Give you more. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty sweet because we didn't we didn't have that, but we didn't have that ever before. We had to, I we, we had to we basically had to do all of our error handling ourselves, and now the only part we have to do is just the custom business logic error. Because the get last error detail with a with a with a native filemaker error, what does that return? Does that return anything, or is this is that only a transactions thing? It it I'm forgetting now without looking at the docs, but there's info and details, right? There's two, and one there, is only location on location and detail. Location yeah. and detail. Yeah. Um, and one of them is, is returns... only for revert. Right. Yeah. One of them returns the step where the error occurred, and one of them returns um, the step of the commit, essentially the commit transaction. So if you're if you're within a transaction and you do get last error detail or get last error location, if you know one of them's going to say, "Oh, this set failed on line 14 failed," the other one's going to say, "Oh, the commit failed for your transaction," but they're still going to return the same info and the same error code. And and then also just to make sure we don't forget to say it is that they actually get last error location works outside of a transaction. Yes. Which is which is really great. And get last error detail has always been there. Um, I forget what it was called. It was like get last external error detail or something. Yeah, like but that. it didn't return that data. It, they it changed didn't return it. that data. Yeah. yeah. 
So they, they now they kind of merged new behavior into that old function and changed the name. Yeah. But we knew it was in there. I don't know why I didn't. It was it, it was clearly the engine clearly knew because if you run perform script on server, it would put the script step, the script name, and the script uh, the script step name and script step name in the lock. So in it was clearly lock, yes. knowable. We just didn't so, ask so for it. So get last error detail doesn't return anything on a native FileMaker error. Yeah, it does. Oh, detail. No. Detail. Yeah. No. But I think Location that's only does. a transaction thing. Location, yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, only for the revert and commit. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Pretty sweet. All right. So we like 19.6. Peter love and I it. are going to rethink this. No promises, but it sounds like we're going to go give it a try. All her old software, rip out the. You're going to rewrite everything, <laughs> starting over. <laughs> At a starting over code, rate, code um... that's been code that's been working perfectly fine for a decade. Start over. Perfect. You're right. right. That's that's how we like to do business. <laughs> Not to derail, but I just so I just did a script that um, just basically does an error, tries to write to a calc field, and then I had it show the the error number and the error detail and the error detail was blank. But then I said, okay, show me yeah. the error number, the error detail and the error location. And then it yeah. gave me the error detail as well as the error location. So I'm not, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just going crazy. Yeah. But I, I that's just, that is super bizarre. Cause it was just like, it wouldn't show it in one, unless I put something after it. Maybe I just wrote that calc wrong. I don't know. There are things that happen that way. So I wouldn't be shocked if that was so, but I'm, I'm going to lean on I bet. You just didn't quite get the calc the way you expected it to. Uh, no, but I could be wrong. I'd love no, to know. I just did it again. And it's, I, this is so Okay. I'm going to have to record it and send it. Yeah. yeah record we'll record it. Let's get it. it. We'll, we'll get it. We'll put it out somewhere. Perfect. Yeah. So, all right. So we joked about old solutions and ripping out, years and years of code from baby Todd and baby corn days. But what's reality? What, what does that look like for old solutions that have transactions, DB transactions that have all these old models? What do we do? Is I it, wouldn't is touch it working? Them. Yeah. <laughs> Let's say it's working. <laughs> Leave it. What is it? What, what's you it they no, say, um, there's no business a, value. Don't wake a sleeping baby. Yeah. <laughs> there needs to be a compelling business reason to do something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're going to, maybe you've got, you have to rewrite the script because of other things. Okay, fine. But if, if, if it's just because you want to use 19.6 functions, you're, you're wasting some time. Now I would say that, um, a nice way to learn about things is to take something that, you know, you wrote in an old way and try to rewrite it in a new way. But I would look at that as, as a learning exercise and not like I'm going to be improving my solution exercise. That's great. That's yeah. good. All right. Well, I think ending us on homework is probably a good way to end the podcast. It was good. <laughs> I think now everyone's got their, their due diligence to do. Well, this was super helpful. I think it's good to, to enlighten us with what 19.6 brings, what transactions are, and why we should care about them. Um, and I'm sure there'll be lots more conversations about it coming as we, as Peter and I try to break it. Uh, he might already have done it. I'm not sure, but we're going to figure it out together. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I just, well, I I just realized great. what I did. It's, it's, that, it's that the get last error location also gives you the, the, the content of the, of the script line. I thought so, yeah. So, I thought yeah, that might be so that's, what I was, that's what I was looking at. Yeah. Got I'm it, just got done. it. Okay, cool. All right. All right. Nah, it's great. It's good, good, good to try to get to stump these guys. Good new stuff. I, I, I love FileMaker trivia questions. Like <laughs> ridiculous. You spend 20 years building up this, this, you know, esoteric knowledge. This is really the only time when you get to be, you know, you get to be a star. This is good. So Why does this? And it's just a quarter, right? It's just a quarter. <laughs> it's not, I know I picked, I picked a field where the, where, you know, excelling is, makes you a quarter. Yeah. Are you going <laughs> to, are you going to awesome. host a, a, a bar FileMaker bar trivia night at DEF contest? You know, I, I, we should figure out something fun to do there because I really do like it. I, it, people bring questions in weird scenarios. I love trying to figure out what's going on and figuring out how it fits into my model. It's, it's super fun. So I'd be open for hosting weird people have weird FileMaker or not hosting, but participating in a, in a weird FileMaker behavior one. We should do it. That'd be 
Stay tuned for a future context podcast. <laughs> we try to Perfect. stump the hosts or something. I don't know what we'll there call we go. it. There we go. I will gladly, gladly participate we'll, in that one. We'll do an AMA FileMaker. Ask me anything FileMaker. And... There we go. It'll be yeah. Hosted by ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you all for being real and not being ChatGPT and for being a part of this. This is really great. So uh, until the next time. All right. Thanks, thanks very much, everybody. Bye. Bye everybody.